With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. From economics to the woke agenda, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right, we've had lots of excitement here, a lot of these breaking, wacky climate stories. Last night I was on uh, Hannity on Fox News, and I got to go through the whole gamut on this uh, recycle the clothing uh, to save the planet, into recycle human hair into clothing, uh, as the Washington Post uh, wants to do. And this is all part of this entire agenda now where every aspect of human activity is considered a threat to the planet that needs to be regulated, monitored in a permission-based society. You're going to have quotas, restrictions, mandates. Um, there's no end to this. There is no end to it. And they know this and they're, and they're relishing every second. They just keep feeding and feeding and feeding. And it takes good men and women to stand up and just say, we're done. We are done. If you recall during COVID, there was one point where Anthony Fauci was talking about your eyes could transmit and people should start wearing goggles. Well, lo and behold, you would actually see people out there with face masks, eye goggles, shield. Ha I flew in an airplane one time with hazmats. People had hazmat suits. Peak insanity was when NBC News did an article about how to shower with your mask on uh, at the gym. And if you'd, you'd wear your mask the whole time and then get in the shower. And then when you had your head under, you'd move the mask and then quickly put it back on. I mean, people will follow this crap. People will look at this and say, oh my gosh, you're gonna have people at a barber shop as they sweep the floor. People are gonna be horrified. Uh, you can't let that happen. You can't do that because the Washington Post is claiming you can save 21 tons of human hair. And if you let it go in a landfill, it'll burn and create emissions. And if you use cotton, they have to clear fields. If you have to, if you use um, uh, synthetic fabrics, it's gonna cause problems with uh, 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 more oil production. It's all climate. Everything is climate, everything, everything, everything. Well, one of the biggest things that's climate is the veganism and meat restrictions and the net zero protests. We're seeing the cows, farmers protest over all the restrictions on cows and other agriculture. I was on Fox and Friends and I wanted to play you this first clip. This is about an article about uh, how kids today, the youth of America and a new survey are turning more and more to veganism, not vegetarian, vegan, no dairy products, no butter, no eggs, no milk, et cetera, along with no meat. And they're doing this because they're trying to save the climate. So this is me at Fox and Friends. This is clip one. Let's take a listen. Young people are going vegan to stop the climate crisis, but it could actually be worse for the environment. In a new Fox News digital op-ed, we learned, quote, while it is true that the meat and dairy industries emit polluting gases that can contribute to climate change, going vegan is not necessarily an improvement. Cutting meat and dairy out of their diet forces young vegans to switch to other products that are often much more environmentally damaging. Here to react, former Coca-Cola consultant and co-founder of TrueMed, Callie Means, along with ClimateDepot.com executive director, Mark Morano, two of my favorite guests together on Fox and Friends. I'm going to start with you, uh, Mark Morano. So what is it? They, they, they say we want to save the environment, all these young people, because they've been indoctrinated since they were in kindergarten about climate change and they go vegetarian or vegan. What are these things that are actually worse than what cows emit um, to get red meat? 
Well, there was a big study out of Carnegie Mellon a few years back, which showed that going vegetarian vegan has about three times the uh, impact on the earth than eating traditional meat and dairy. And what they found is that per unit of uh, per ca- per calorie unit, you are you are destroying the earth more than if you eat higher rich dense foods. And so what we're finding is soybeans cause deforestation, uh, the methane emissions from rice milk and other alternatives that they're going to use for dairy. Uh, even the other options they're coming up with with meat. If people like Bill Gates have the lab grown meat. That's now 25 times worse for the environment than regular traditional meat. It's almost as if we've been farming, you know, humans have been farming for thousands of years. We've been eating meat since our entire existence almost exclusively, but somehow in 2024, they've declared, it's destroying the earth, we've got to stop, and young people are falling for it. Yeah, it's so crazy. It's not even good for their bodies. As you said, red meat is a very high nutrient-dense food. But, Kelly, it's a great point. I mean, the windmills are killing the whales and the coral reef and the birds, Um, the, the the mining for cobalt for EV batteries, and not to mention the humanitarian issues of child slave labor. Everything they say that is good ends up being more destructive. Wow. Uh, and well, that's Rachel Campos Duffy just spot on as a news anchor there uh, doing the interviews with us and just really well done. Um, and exactly what what she's saying is everything they try to propose, if you actually took it at face value, solar, wind, EVs, it's the exact opposite impact. You're going to increase emissions. You're going to have more rare earth mining. You're going to have more human rights abuses. You're going to have uh, less efficiency energy. You're not going to reduce your uh, emissions globally at all. You're just going to offshore them from the developing country off to China. Uh, and this is, you know, this, this green stimulus bill that President um, Biden is doing with the Inflation Reduction Act. All it's doing is you, all these companies come together and all they're going to be doing with, with solar, wind, battery companies, they're going to be buying products in, 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 from China. So that, that, uh, they're saying it's going to be a trillion dollars of U.S. taxpayer money over the next decade or so. That's all going to be going and benefiting China directly. Now, sure, there'll be a board of directors here in the United States of some shell company ultimately, but all the products and resources are going to be coming chiefly from China. And... What that means is that China is getting this big diversion of U.S. taxpayer money almost directly. And they might claim, oh, these solar panels are made in America. But when you get 96% of all the components from China and then you just assemble them in a factory in North Carolina, is that really made in America if that's the final step of assembling and packaging? Uh, It's not actually manufactured. We're not allowed to do the mining. We're not allowed to do the uh, all the uh, milling of it and the processing of it into the, the right shapes. In other words, we're just a team of uh, low-paid grunt assemblers of these products and ship them off and then claim they're made in America. That's one of the ways they'll get around it. Well, here's this is clip two of the Fox and Friends segment. This is uh, the end of the segment. This is Rachel Campos Duffy summing it up very well what this whole agenda is about. Yeah, Mark, you've often said it. Um, it's not just they want to control your food, your food, your energy, your currency. This is what the the the, the WEF wants. Yeah. Um, you both have been uh, just incredible whistleblowers and 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 true honest brokers on this issue. Uh, and I think people are starting to catch on to what big food, big pharma, and the WEF is doing, and it's in large part because of both of you. Um, Mark Morano, Callie Means, thank you so much for joining me this morning. 
Wow, that's a great, a great compliment saying that we're helping wake people up. It's because of shows like this on TNT that we're able to do that. Uh, I'm getting this message out. TNT, the voice of freedom around the world, and it's getting there. Well, this next clip, this is the the lie that cows and, and uh, animal agriculture are killing the, the climate, are broken down by a farmer. This is... Uh, a farmer, and I believe, uh, I want to say, I mean, it's Europe, but I think it might be the Netherlands, but he goes through, or maybe it's Sweden, and he explains uh, how the, the farm is sort of this well-oiled machine for the earth. This is clip three. The biggest lie in the world right now is that cows are killing the planet. At the core of that lie is how methane is calculated. And in the next few minutes, I am going to take you through the full carbon cycle for my dairy cows from the air and back to the air. All the carbon that enters my dairy cows starts in the air. And I have organized this fog as a nice visual representation of that carbon. Let's take 10 carbon atoms from the air and follow their journey through one of my dairy cows. The grass in my field uses photosynthesis. That's a hard word to say. Photosynthesis. Grass uses photosynthesis to pull carbon out of the air and store it as energy in the form of carbohydrates and proteins. So when my cows come in here in a few weeks to graze this field, they will eat the grass and they will take up the carbon. Sorry if I'm explaining this like you're stupid, but none of the public question any of this stuff. One of the 10 carbon atoms will leave as meat and milk, which is then consumed as food by us humans, and we emit the carbon as respiration. Another two of the carbon atoms are emitted as respiration by the cow. Again, very well explained by a farmer. Uh, farming basically works with the earth, and it's now there's obviously problems if you're talking about big corporate ag uh, monoculture uh, crops, which are a lot of times distorted by uh, tax incentives and public policy, whether uh, but but in general, farming is something we should cherish, embrace. And the last thing you want is a corporate control of farming. And that's exactly where we're headed as the climate regulations and this consolidations, corporate government collusion are crushing the small farms. On that point, this is Dutch political commentator, Eva Vlada Jajabruk, probably butchered that name, uh, a legal analyst, really does a good job here. This is clip six explaining how they're using climate change to shut down the global farming industry. In 2019, the courts ruled that the Netherlands was actively in a nitrogen crisis. And that ruling has been the basis for our government to crack down on our farmers' rights and even move towards expropriation of their land. The nitrogen crisis does not exist. It's a pretext, it's a lie. The nitrogen crisis is a manufactured crisis created by bureaucrats in The Hague and in Brussels. The attack on farming in the Netherlands is part of a bigger global agenda that is centered around control. In fact, it's the typical, I would say the typical globalist strategy. They create a crisis. Boy, have we seen that in the past few years, you know, what that looks like. They create a crisis and then they say, well, and the answer to this crisis, the solution to this crisis is you giving up your rights, not us, but you. Wow, Ava really nails it right there. 
it's it's the story of the human race basically throughout history the ruling class the global elites the highest qualified the most credentialed the ones that went to the best schools and the wealthiest of course all have tried to come up with reasons why the rest of us can't be free and this is what they do on a non-stop basis they come up with crises real imagined they come up with more regulations they come up with more power for themselves and crush us this is just our plight it's our the human condition if you will and our job as part of this human condition is not to submit our job is to not comply and that is why major kudos goes to what's happening in europe with the farmer protests from brussels to paris to germany to the netherlands to Romania, to Poland, to Spain, farmers with their pitchforks, farmers on their tractors are showing up at the town uh, town squares, the judicial centers, the EU parliament main headquarters in Brussels, and they're protesting. They're protesting viciously. And what has been the result of this protest? Well, we have good news. This is clip four. The EU has dropped a key part of the 2040 proposal requiring agricultural emissions to be cut by 30% due to the climate. Clip four. The European Union has dropped a key part of its 2040 proposal requiring agricultural emissions to be cut by 30%. It's a big deal. The move comes as Spanish farmers staged protests across the countries you see right there using tractors to block roads in some areas. They're joining farmers in Germany, France, and other European countries who have held similar protests in recent weeks. Farmers are angry about rising costs, high levels of bureaucracy, and competition from non-EU countries. Boom! And there you have it. Farmers, show up. Rally the public. Farmers, shut down roads. Farmers shut down the government headquarter buildings. Farmers tell the politicians, the bureaucrats, hell no, we will not comply. This is unacceptable. You're not coming after agricultural emissions for some virtue signaling climate bull. And guess what happens? The EU blinks. The EU starts abandoning key uh, emission cut targets. This is big, this is huge and it should be applauded. And here now, this is clip five. These are some TV hosts analyzing the farmer's rights. Uh, let's take a listen. This is clip, uh, clip five. That's a really, really ambitious target. Right. But then we have agriculture, which is a sector that you know emits more than ten percent. More than ten percent of the EU's emissions are come from agriculture alone, mm -hmm. and then we're not even going to mention that in these ambitious targets. Mm -hmm. So it is definitely a sign that you know there is. Uh, a lot of social pushback to some of these measures. Uh, it is a challenge for the EU to kind of balance the measures uh, and make them palatable, palatable for every sector, and most importantly, to provide incentives mm -hmm. to get everyone on board and to get everyone to participate. Well, you know, I think, I think when we talk about reducing our CO2 footprint, you and I know that you know we, if we ride our bike instead of driving a car, for example, that's the easiest. Okay, these are two European uh, news anchors, and they're. The, the, the female journalist there was just acting as though, well, why shouldn't farming? These are ambitious targets. Everyone has to participate. Everyone's in this together, just like COVID. You know, you're not wearing your mask. We're all in this together. Oh, really? Is that why a billionaire 
uh, a day has been created during the, the pandemic. And that's that's why all the small mom and pops are being crushed. But we're all in this together. We're all. Is that why the politicians and the health directors and the media and the congressmen and everyone and the emergency officials, no one lost their job, but everyone else. Yeah, you know, we're all in it together. Bull bleep. And this is two mainstream corporate journalists in Europe just going like, well, why should the farmers that we have to go after that? And the, the funny thing was what the guy said at the end. Well, we all know how we can personally cut it. We can just ride our bicycles. Yeah, like the farmers should just do the equivalent of riding a bike once in a while to meet this. They're facing extinction for their family-run, small, middle-sized farms. And corporate equity asset, Chinese billionaire purchasing is on down the road as these farms can't afford the regulations, the climate compliance, the 30% emission cuts to start to meet the net zero goals. But the host is like, well, we could just ride our bikes. What could the farmers do? Or they do something similar. We have to fight back at every level, at the media level, at the school board level, at the local politics level, at the state politics level, at the national politics level, at the international politics level, uh, at Every step, you've got to start declaring it. Don't nod and go along with, oh, yeah, there's a climate emergency. Did you see that storm hit Florida? That's climate change. No longer can we just remain silent. We have to start pushing back. We can't accept this drivel. We can't be intimidated into compliance or alleged support of uh, any of these goals or narratives. I call them the narratives. That's what's so incredible. Um, all right. Well, this has just been... It's upsetting because it just keeps coming. But the good news is what's happening in Europe. We have to keep our eye on that. Okay. We have a guest when we come back. It's going to be Drew Thomas Allen. He's one of America's rising conservative stars. And he's going to give a historic failures of the Biden administration and arguments for reclaiming American independence. The exact theme that I've just been talking about here for the last 20 minutes. His name is Drew Allen. And he's the author of America's Last Stand, Will You Stop? to save or destroy America. And before I go to break, just one ad. TNT is an independent global news network, a station that does and says what others will not say. TNT is a live radio TV broadcaster that simply talks, tells the truth 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No one in the world does what we do. Crisscrossing the globe, providing credible news and opinion all day, all night. In two and a half years, that's about how long I've been working here, TNT has become a credible and exciting platform and brilliant hosts and staff. Of course, we're brilliant hosts and staff. It's a critical time. We must continue to call out the misinformation propaganda from mainstream media and powerful sponsors. We are now at TNT appealing to our many friends and supporters around the world to go to TNT.radio, go to TNTradio.live and make a small donation to TNT while we seek the right investors to continue our important mission. So let's hope, please, if you feel free, please give a little bit. Go to tntradio.live. Uh, so this is Mark Morano on Unleashed on TNT. We'll be right back after these messages. Now, as we move into an election year in US politics at a time when the Western empire is under attack from within, as if an orchestrated decline is the plan, Whilst at the same time, the rise of BRICS nations represents a rise of a new multipolar order. Institutions that have controlled the world are at last being questioned for their behaviour and their failures. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the proof shall set us free. Those two statements sit at opposite ends of the zeitgeist in a world that is filled with death, destruction, deceit 
and a wholesale unwillingness to hold anyone in power to account except for anyone who takes power against the ruling elite, of course. And then we have seen how that system works. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. She used to dance and dream of a better life, a brighter future, with nutritious food to eat, a chance to learn, to get an education, and do incredible things. Today, thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams by ensuring that they have access to health care, education, life skills, and more so they can grow, thrive, and believe in themselves. Gracias. Gracias. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. The conversation continues. I don't believe it, and I think that's a terrible position that I am in, that I don't trust my government. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right, well, joining us now is author Drew Thomas Allen, a rising conservative uh, star, and he's the author of the new book, America's Last Stand, Will You Vote to Save or Destroy America in 2024? Welcome to the program, uh, Drew. Hey, Mark. Good to be with you. I hope that's a beautiful headshot there because uh, we had the tech difficulties, but we're making it work, man. And I'm glad to be with you. Oh, okay. You seem a little stiff there. I don't see you moving very much. Oh, it's a still picture. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, tell us about your book and tell us, first of all, tell us about your background. What what led you to, to write this book? Uh, and what's, what's your life story uh, that brought you to this moment where you think 2024 is so critical? Well, so look, I've been a political conservative my whole life, but uh, I haven't been around a lot of political conservatives. So my background, look, I grew up in Texas, which people assume is very conservative. In some parts it is. My parents were conservative, but I went, went to an all-male college preparatory school that was Jesuit. Very, very liberal environment. Uh, I ended up uh, going to school in California. I was an actor, a film producer. I actually worked in fashion for Marc Jacobs. I lived in Italy in Milan. I speak Italian. I lived there for two and a half years, uh, opening and running uh, the first um, retail store that Marc Jacobs opened in Italy. So my point is, if you listen to my experience, you might assume that I would be more left-leaning, uh, but, but it, it could yeah. be further from the truth. But, you know, I've been in these environments my whole life where I've been forced to actually formulate strong arguments and counter-arguments because everyone around me that were my friends did not think like me. So that was kind of the benefit. So uh, I often say, you know, Ronald Reagan and people like that that actually came from the left, uh, or you can, if you look at like religion, if you say, you know, the Apostle Paul, who used to be a persecutor, you know, who, who, who came over to see the light, those people are, are, are weapons for a movement. Uh, and they're very, very special people. I'm, I'm somewhere in between. And so look, I've, I've got an 11 month old daughter now. 2020, I think, as we all live through, uh, that nightmare situation where really we saw how uh, despotic there were many people were 
how willing people were to not only give up their freedom, but try and take freedom away from their fellow man, going to a coffee shop and being screamed at and chastised by another American citizen because you didn't have six masks on your face and so on and so forth. And I lost, I lost pretty much most of my friends, to be honest, Mark, in 2020, lifelong friends over politics. I didn't change. I didn't come out of the closet, so to speak, and say, hey, I'm a conservative. I'm voting for Trump, for example. They knew that about me. But something changed in them in 2020 based on the, the how far left we moved and the environment that was created in this country that they couldn't even be friends with me. So I was very scared, to be honest. And so as I looked at what was happening and what Biden was doing and what governments around the world were doing, I was recognizing there was something different about this particular era. You know, there was something uh, 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 more frightening about what was happening. And it was happening faster than I'd ever, ever seen before. And so I was compelled, and I kind of saw last year even, I predicted the book's premises, it's going to be a rematch in the U.S. between Trump and Biden, or perhaps some Democrat they replaced him with at the last minute. But I wrote that last year. So while a lot of people, I think, were waiting to be told, okay, these are going to be your nominees, I, I kind of could see what was happening, and I wanted to get ahead of it and give people a book that could not only give them conviction uh, to, to understand and, and accept the stakes that they were beginning to recognize the gravity of the situation, but to persuade them and help them persuade other people that, hey, look, we've got to, in America, we have got to reelect Trump uh, in, in 2024 if we want to have a fighting chance. The stakes are that high. And so when you wrote this book, what emerges as like the number one issue? Like, why are the stakes so high? What would you say it is? Uh, the threat to our democracy, to use the left, you know, the mainstream media's word, that's a threat. But what is the major, what do you see as, give me the top issues that you see are so important in 2024. Well, yeah, I mean, I think overall what you're looking at, if you look at the most unprecedented situation in America, which is the left's use of lawfare, the unconstitutional, just unbelievable persecution of Donald Trump, going after their political opponent, trying to put him in prison for things that aren't even crimes. And if they were crimes, the Democrats committed them themselves. Uh, but this, basically the, the, the uh, illegalization, if you will, of conservatism, of political opposition in this country. I mean, this is what you get in horrific regimes throughout history. And that's what really makes this one different is because if we lose here, if we allow the Democrats to get away with election interference again for a third consecutive time doing what they're doing here, um, it's, it's, it's an, a pretty horrific loss for the United States. And we're not, you know, always the, the Democrats. So a threat to democracy. We're a constitutional republic, which is uh, a little bit different, but that's their, their line. Uh, but look, I, I mean, I can look at other things they've just been doing. I mean, the Constitution in our country uh, pretty much doesn't exist. I mean, it exists, but it's already been violated in so many ways. There's stories out today about how, yes, and most of, many of us knew this that were paying attention, the Obama administration, uh, as he was going out, weaponized other foreign governments and including our own CIA to spy on Trump's campaign. So we had actual, it was actually a coup, Trump Russia collusion. And there's, there's never been any kind of, um, uh, uh, I don't, oh my God, retribution. There's never been any, any pushback really 
uh, or, or no one's paid a price for what they've done. I mean, if you did anything like that equivalent in the private sector as a, as a citizen, you'd be in jail for life. But these politicians are totally unaccountable. And, and really what we're facing in America is, you know, our Constitution says that we, the people, are master and those in government are the servant. We are so far. We're kind of in a 1776 situation. We've got a little civil war sprinkled in. But this election is as significant as those other inflection points in our, in our history. 1776 and 1861. 2024 is absolutely there. Uh, and we just have to, we have to accept that and, and then move forward. In terms of like, let's go one at a time, like election integrity. How do we reform that? You know, it's up to each state that allows this. The, a lot of these states, especially swing states, allow these mail-in ballots that are unverified. We know from past presidential commissions, like with James Baker, Jimmy Carter, that, you know, having these mail-in ballots is just an, a recipe for voter fraud. How do we reform the election so that people can have once again have confidence in them? What steps uh, do you think we need? Well, the challenge is in states where Republicans control the legislature, uh, you know, we can we can pass those reforms uh, like it used to be. But in Democrat run states and strongholds, uh, there's not a whole lot you can do because those elected officials can alter uh, election laws and loosen them and the requirements and so on and so forth. But I'm still not over 2020, and I don't think anybody in America should be over 2020, even though a lot of people say we shouldn't talk about the past. Yeah, talk about the past. That, that, you know, there, were, there have been stud, studies come out the last few days that, that have suggested very strongly using data that absolutely, um, you know, voter fraud was used to steal the 2020 election. And we've been beaten, browbeaten, you know, into just trying to accept what happened in 2020. But I don't have a problem with it. I think that actually um, it's more foolish to pretend like everything was kosher in 2020. They didn't steal the election. We know how the mail-in ballots work. We know that's a source of fraud. Once you get them in there mixed in the, in the, in the pack, there's not much you can do about it. And they spread their lies about, oh, you know, 60 courts found there was no fraud. No, 60 courts uh, yeah. didn't have cojones, and they wouldn't even hear the cases. But, you know, what's, what's funny to me, Mark, is in this last, you know, these last few months, you've seen countless examples of Democrat elections where it's Democrats running for office against other Democrats in these local races, and judges have actually taken up the cases and overturned the election results, claiming that Democrats stole the election from the other Democrats using what? Mail-in ballots. So uh, we, we know what happened in 2020. Um, and, and I'm not going to stop talking about it because, you know, they, they, part of the strategy here, of course, is to to, to kind of push us to the outer rims of society and make us feel guilty or, or sheepish or ashamed to talk about the truth. And I'm never going to do that. Did you ever think in your lifetime you would see so many Americans, so much of the media, academia, government officials, just literally cheering on anything to get rid of Trump, even if it violates the Constitution? And they, I mean, how do you think we got to that point where it was just like the ends justify the means and complete and they didn't want to hear any anything against it. Well, if you want to point to one man and, and one time, it was really uh, the Obama administration that kind of started this push. I mean, most of this deep state stuff, not to say we didn't have problems. You can go back and look at what happened to JFK's assassination and so on and so forth. We've always had to deal with these types of uh, 
you know, uh, power hungry people in the shadows typically, but the radicalization really happened with Barack Obama. Um, he was a Marxist. And, you know, if you remember though, both of those election cycles with him, you know, the media did everything they could like they're doing now to cover up and prevent the truth from coming out about his relationship with Bill Ayers, the domestic terrorist, about his ties to uh, communists, you know, throughout his life and what he was really uh, looking to do and achieve. And he did untold damage to the country. And many people would argue now that he's still running things behind the scenes. Certainly his people from his administration are still littered and populating the uh, uh, Biden administration. But but that's really where, where it started. And, and you know, it, it's hard because they've taken control of higher education, of the education system. So the indoctrination starts very, very early in uh, inviting young Americans to uh, hate themselves and hate their country, uh, tearing down statues that represent our history. So, I mean, it's very smart. I mean, what they're doing is what they've done in the Soviet Union in the past. Um, I mean, it's Marxism. So they've just kind of repackaged it through the lens of race and so on and so forth. But um, it's really insidious what they've done. And a, a lot of us, you know, uh, uh, do understand exactly what that's about from an academic approach, too. But a lot of people just that uh, they don't get it. And unfortunately, you know, if you or I are going to sit, we, we, we'd really have to spend time with someone. Uh, explaining these things to people because they, they just don't get it. I mean, they have totally been, the brains have just been, I mean, it's like a chip's been stuck in there. Uh, and, it, and, it's, and it's replaced patriotism and Americanism with this uh, worldview that is just uh, shameful to this country. And, and, and what so many in our history have done to create this opportunity, this great place, the greatest place, the greatest country in history, truly. And what would you do? Like we have something called, I guess you call it modern monetary theory, where they don't even really openly raise taxes. Notice Congress doesn't really vote on tax increases. Somewhere along the line, the government just decided and the Biden administration decided, and this happened heavily in the Obama as well, that they're just going to print more money and they don't they can pay for everything by just expanding by printing more money and they don't even everything comes out looking free. But of course, it leads to massive inflation debt deficits. What do you think, uh, the, you know, what's the different contrast that, the difference between Trump and Biden, and how do we solve these uh, the, the financial crisis? Yeah, well, look, I mean, Trump doesn't get a pass in terms of spending. Um, this, what you're talking about, has plagued uh, every administration. Um, I mean, well, since Reagan, uh, even before that, you know, the, 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 the New Deal with FDR and everything else. I mean, we have steadily moved towards this place where the government obviously gets bigger and bigger. And as the government gets bigger, uh, obviously, it's going to to strangle the private sector. I mean, if you look right now, the, the U.S. government is the second largest employer in the country, uh, right after healthcare, which is also mostly run by the government at this point. So those are not good statistics for the United States of America. But, you know, all of these things, you know, they can be very complex to talk about. Uh, certainly the economics is very, very difficult. But fundamentally, um, we obviously have a printing money and spending problem. And I think I think to kind of go back to your previous question, I mean, if we're if we're going to get through to people, it's 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 overall ideology and philosophy. I mean, the idea that 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 we are just 
Congress is, has been just voting to send, uh, you know, billions and billions and billions, tens of billions. They just voted for another $95 billion that won't, go, won't get uh, passed to the House, uh, thankfully. But they just want to send all this money to Ukraine, a foreign country. And uh, that is, in many ways, taxation without representation. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, what our founding fathers, uh, what George Washington, what all these people – uh, were pushing back against in terms of Great Britain and, and what that represented to them via tyranny. Um, you know, we, we, we do not have that mindset today. I mean, so much of what they fought against in our history is the very thing that is ailing us today. And it's these big ideas about what is mankind's you know, role? What is the citizen's role in society? What is the role of government? And many people in our society think that government's just supposed to do everything for everyone all the time. And, you know, I mean, this, 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 this stuff with the foreign wars and everything, I know Americans are getting really sick and tired of our government prioritizing foreign countries over our own border and our own nation. But if that's not tyranny, I don't know what is. Right, what about some domestic issues? You have things like the Biden EPA trying to ban gas-powered cars, and no one voted for this. Uh, it's just happening through the higher EPA standards. You have Gavin Newsom issuing executive order in all these states. There's no legislation on it. What would you do about things like that? Like people want to drive gas-powered cars. EV sales are only 6 7%. How do you stop that from happening? Well, look, I got to be honest with you, and it's uncomfortable for people to ponder, but at some point, you just need to reread the Declaration of Independence. Um, look, I mean, we have, we have um, obviously elections, and we elect our representatives and so on and so forth, but we have the situation in America right now where we have a lawless government, whether it's Newsom, whether it's at the federal level, you, wherever you look, and there's just no accountability. Accountability is supposed to be the people and elections and voting them out and so on and so forth. But, you know, if you break the law, Mark, or I break the law, uh, we face uh, prosecution, we face punishment, we go to jail potentially. And these people are violating the law left and right, but as government officials or elected officials, they don't face any consequences. I mean, the consequences, oh, you might get voted out of office at some point. I mean, look, the, the Supreme Court can say over and over again, hey, this is unconstitutional. T to your point, look, look, look what's happened with the EPA. You had the case, EPA versus West Virginia, a year or two ago, and they said that, uh, you know, and surprisingly, Roberts, I think, wrote the, the, the majority opinion. But he said, look, you cannot use the EPA to let, you know, to to basically order out of existence uh, coal power plants. You, you can't just use the EPA, unelected bureaucrats. That's not what it exists for. That's a, that's a clear violation of the Constitution. Yeah. And what did Joe Biden do in response? He ordered them to, to, to regulate uh, vehicles. And, and, and what's coming out of them, which is effectively going to put them um, uh, out of commission as well. So, look, we have a lawless government. And unfortunately, a lot of Americans don't seem uh, to, to care. That's true. All right. Well, we'll take a break. Uh, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. We're talking with Drew Thomas Allen, the author of America's Last Stand. Will you vote to save or destroy America in 2024? We'll be right back after these messages. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. State propaganda media has once again outed themselves as pure partisans, just parroting the party line with their criticism of Tucker Carlson's interview of Vladimir Putin. Carlson gave a pretty hard-hitting interview 
called Putin out on the Wall Street Journal reporter that is in custody, saying that he should be released, having that conversation. But more importantly, getting Putin's perspective on the Ukraine war and why he chose to initiate it. That's called journalism. Yet none of our journalists seem to be the least bit interested in committing journalism. They're more interested in calling for Tucker to be arrested on the tarmac when his plane returns to the United States. It's absolutely disgraceful how these people claim the moral high ground when they're nothing more than moral midgets. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's News Talk TNT. see it coming. It's pre-diabetes, and it captures one in three adults. You may not even know you have it, but you can escape. Take the one-minute pre-diabetes risk test to know where you stand. With early diagnosis, you can change the outcome and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. Be your own hero on smartphones everywhere at doihaveprediabetes.org. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. But the danger to animals the world over is growing, and the need for your help has never been more urgent. On land, you'll help stop poachers from threatening and killing elephants and big cats for the illegal wildlife trade. In the oceans, you'll help rescue dolphins, whales, and seals from deadly hazards. And you'll help rescue, rehabilitate, and release vulnerable animals when disasters strike. Here at home and around the world, we can't do this work without you. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. Unleashing the Beast. Mark Morano is unleashed on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed on TNT. I'm Mark Morano. All right, we're talking with Drew Thomas Allen, the author of America's Last Stand. Will you vote to save or destroy America in 2024? And people are in the reviews of this book on Amazon are saying it's today's Thomas Paine uh, common sense uh, book that's going to literally light a fire under the nation. So congratulations on the book. Let me ask you a question about the woke agenda. How bad, how much of an influence is that in this election? Everything from critical race, transgender, uh, even the COVID ideology, what we experienced there. Uh, what do you think about that whole issue? And that seems to divide Americans greatly. Well, definitely. And it divides Americans by design. Um, as, as a preface to my answer, I would say, you know, you can go back and look at George Washington's farewell address to the nation. And he warned against political factionalism. You know, he warned and said, look, it's, it's basically going to uh, uh, make Americans uh, allegiance go to a party over country. 
And that's kind of what we have here with these different, you know, uh, identity groups. And so, look, that's what the woke agenda is really about. I mean, it's, it's cultural Marxism is how I would really define it. And most of these issues um, have shown to be very beneficial to uh, the right in America, to conservatives, to Republicans in, in many of these elections. Um, if, if you look at Glenn Youngkin and what happened in Virginia, that was basically over the transgender issue in schools. Remember, um, it was in Loudoun County where a boy wearing a skirt, um, well, he, he, he raped someone's daughter named Scott uh, Smith, I believe was the father's name, in, in a bathroom. And after that happened, they tried to cover it up, and then they still didn't change their transgender policy. They still pushed forward and said, ah, who cares if, you know, I mean, it's, it's just amazing yeah. uh, the inconsistency of the ideology of the left. If it saves one life, you know, it's like, well, if, if it prevents one rape, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't we also not have a trans, you know, the trans thing going on? But um, look, I think these are that really we can win on. Um, there's a lot of them. We, we saw at Harvard, right? I mean, you, you can look at the, 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 the war going on in the Middle East uh, with Israel and uh, Hamas right now. And look, I mean, that was not a, a, a winning issue uh, for the left. Harvard, which really was the poster child of the pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas, anti-Israel movement in many ways, they are not seen today with the same, uh, uh, you know, I guess, elevated position that they were before, you know, Harvard, you know, with his big name. I mean, you know, there's a little bit of shame now surrounding it. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's been going on for a long time. But this particular issue really, really showed the, who they were and what they were teaching. But the problem for us, I think, on the right is that we're too timid. It's kind of the silent majority thing. We're losing the majority the more we're silent, of course. But we don't have enough conviction. We're very sheepish and we're afraid of, uh, of what the left is going to say about us and their attacks and so on and so forth. And these black and white issues, you know, men cannot have babies. Masks don't prevent the uh, transmission of the COVID virus. The COVID vaccines don't prevent the transmission or contraction of the COVID virus. You know, these are things that are facts. And yet when it comes to talking to somebody on the left about it, we're very hesitant to say the truth. And that's something that we need to change for each of us individually. And that's kind of a lot of the point of the book, too, is to say, hey, we are right on all these issues. At the end of the day, as a conservative, I'm a pragmatist. I look at history. I look at what works. I want the best country for myself and my daughter. I want a culture that is healthy. Uh, I don't want my uh, young daughter to be told by some teacher that she should consider changing her gender. That's wrong. It's evil. Uh, and we, sh we need to be protecting this culture. Americans have to become activists on our side. The left, they're very good at being activists. You know, they're, they're these woke cultural Marxists that are going to war every day to destroy the country, and we kind of just sit there and let them do it, and we have got to change our mentality and realize that this is a republic if you can keep it, and the you is you and me and every citizen. It, it takes active participation. We can't let Mitch McConnell go and pick all of our candidates for us and then we just dutifully go and cast our vote for somebody uh, that, that's going to be really bad for, to represent us and our country. So that's the shift that needs to, to take place here is, is an activist-minded population. Well, uh, as it surprised you, like I think there were polling during COVID that huge percentage of, uh, for instance, Democrats support
Well, uh, as it surprised you, like I think they were polling during COVID that huge percentage of, uh, for instance, Democrats supported like vaccine mandates and denying uh, like anyone who didn't get a vaccine medical care. Uh, the idea of just people going along with these kind of restrictions on their fellow Americans in LA, they were giving out rewards, snitches get rewards. If you turn in your neighbor for having a party during COVID, or if you see someone having too many people at a backyard barbecue, you could report them to the government and they could have the utility shuts off their electrical or heat. Um, so how do you think America got to this point where we are so fragmented and how do you, how do you restore that unity that you're talking about that, uh, that's been lost in America over these type of issues? Yeah, well, I, I would I guess we should take a, a trip down memory lane and look at how it's plagued us in the past and how we overcame it at some point. I, I actually refer to what you're talking about, the behavior from the left during the lockdowns in L.A. I live in Northern California in the Napa Valley, of oh, course. Dear. So I, I experienced all of the, all of this. And, you know, I call it in the book 21st century Jim Crow. Right. So Jim Crow was in many ways unofficial. Uh, some were official but basically rules of engagement with it when it came to black Americans, right? You couldn't go to white restaurants. You couldn't stay at these hotels. You couldn't drink at the water fountain. You were prohibited from participating in society. That's really what we've seen from the left, not even just with COVID, but before it. I tell a story in the book about Sarah Huckabee Sanders when she was Trump's press secretary, and she tried to go and eat at this restaurant called the Red Hen. I think it was in Lexington, Virginia, or something like that. Yeah. And the owner recognized who she was and was a leftist. And the owner actually kicked her out of the restaurant, told her she wouldn't serve her. So this is what I'm talking about. This is how the left views uh, American citizens. And, you know, what we need is a, a kind of popular uh, uprising. Uh, I'm not calling for violence. I, I mean, we on our side abhor violence. We really do. Um, but hey, look, you know, we, we basically we're in a similar, similar situation. We're kind of looking at the civil rights movement of our time in many ways, I think, except everyone's being targeted and certainly people on the right, uh, and not just black Americans, but look, I mean, after decades and decades or a century, even after the civil war of Democrats, Southern Democrats, um, continuing to pass Jim Crow laws and, and segregate blacks from society finally got to a point in the country where they'd had enough. And, you know, they staged, I mean, they, they made their presence known and they, and they made it very clear that this was wrong. And slowly but surely, of course, you had many white Americans join in until we got to a point in this country where we all said enough is enough. And that's kind of what we're looking at now. And we, we, you know, the government should fear us. Um, you know, this, this is the hard thing for people to talk about today. Because if you look at our history, yes, I mean, it started, <laughs> it started with a, a, a violent start. And, of course, we put all these things in place, the Constitution, uh, checks and balances, all this stuff to try and prevent something like from ever happening again. But um, we're in a situation where the American people fear their government, uh, whether it's the taxation and the IRS coming for you, whether it's being targeted by the FBI today, whether it's being kicked out of a restaurant or shamed during COVID, like you were talking about with just ordinary citizens. Um, you know, this, this should, there should not be a tolerance for this in our society. And, of course, the beast grows stronger the more we permit it to do so. And so that's why I think it's also important that Trump is reelected, because if you really want to get back at these people, uh, yes, in many ways, he's standing between um, the tyrants and the American citizen. Uh, but also, it's the biggest middle finger you can give to the tyrants, because what do they loathe more uh, well, they don't love anything more than, than Donald Trump and, and his reelection. And so um, that is a, a really big step forward to send a message to them saying, 
um, we're done with you. Yeah, I mean, and that that's exactly, I think it was Michael Moore in 2016 said Trump represented the big middle finger. He gave a very good analysis, the left-wing filmmaker, about why Trump was going to win at the time, because, and the more they attacked Trump, the stronger he became. And I think, uh, you know, so what they tried to do after that, now let me ask you about this, is they decided they're never going to allow another person like Trump to be elevated. So one thing they did is they're trying to destroy his entire business, anyone associated with him, lawsuits and bankruptcy and investigations. But the other thing they've done is they've put mass censorship, corporate government collusion, whether it's on COVID, whether it's on climate, whether it's on vaccines, whether it's on uh, election uh, integrity. You now have corporate government collusion between the federal government, our intelligence agencies, and big media just censoring people in a way that I don't think Americans have ever really experienced. How would you fix that? And how bad is that problem of censorship in America? Well, it's really bad. Um, I mean, part of it's educational, right? So the left, one thing I, I talk about uh, is how the left plays with language they mischaracterize things, right? So the left likes to say that uh, Trump is, you know, semi-fascist, you know, as, Trump, as, as Biden famously said in that, that speech outside of Independence Hall, I think. But, yeah. um, you know, the root of fascism and communism is socialism. And that's the left. That's the Democrat Party today. And when you talk about collusion with companies, that is fascism. Fascism, right? The difference, people need to say the difference between communism and fascism is communism, you don't allow free enterprise. It's all controlled by the government. In fascism, you allow private enterprise as long as it is beholden and does the bidding of the state. So they're very, very similar, right? It's kind of just like superficial. Yeah, you can have a private business, but you have to do what we say. And so that's what we have here with this collusion between these big governments. That's what diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI is all about, right? Yeah. It's about forcing these companies. Uh, they'll get rewarded by the federal government if they basically turn themselves into woke companies. And so I, I think explaining that to people is, is very, very important. But, I mean, all of, the, all of the root of all of this really is fundamentally it's enlightenment. So, you know, th there are, there's a general thing here, and it is freedom versus tyranny. It's about what you want for yourself and your life and what you expect out of your government. Um, and, and it's astonishing to me that, I mean, anybody could even c contemplate voting for Biden uh, or some other Democrat this time around, because what I say to people, too, it's like, look, you lived under Trump. You lived under Biden. Were you better off under Biden than Trump? Of course not. Object by no metric can you objectively say you were better off under Biden than Trump. Um, but I, I think the other thing is we have an issue because uh, many of us, like the world is turned upside down. We, we don't know what's true anymore. I mean, like how, how much would it change people's thinking if people actually like had definitive proof, you know, if such a thing existed, that they stole the 2020 election. I mean, what if people woke up and realized that Trump actually did win in 2020? Don't you think people's outlook would be a little bit different about Trump and, 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 and you know, where we are as a nation instead of this defeatist mentality because we just accepted this? I mean, look, we know at this point, based on evidence and what's going on, January 6th, what that was about. That wasn't a Trump-led insurrection. It wasn't an insurrection at all. It was the deep state ensuring that, uh, Joe Biden's uh, was rubber stamped, um, you know, because we're supposed to hear about evidence, you know, voter fraud and so on and so forth. On that day. And the reality is we, we could have actually forced uh, states to reconsider and we could have actually had a different outcome. It wasn't illegal or unlawful. But my point is, we're just so mind screwed, if you will, today that we, that we just 
we, we've like lost our bearings. We've got to ground ourselves, you know, so we can make uh, rational decisions to save the country. Wow. All right. Well, we have about a minute and a half left. I mean, make your case right now. This is Amer your book is America's Last Stand. Will you vote to save or destroy America in 2024? In about a minute, a little over a minute, make the case why 2024 is important and why Donald Trump should be the choice. Look, be selfish. Ask yourself if you have children, you know, everyone has a job, they're paying energy bills and so on and so forth. Ask yourself what kind of world you want to live in. Look at the landscape around you. Do you want peace in the Middle East again? Do you want there to be peace around the world? Do you want the U.S. citizen to be put first by our government? Do you want affordable energy? Uh, do you want your children to, to be told to cut off their pee, -pee at five years old by, by teacher? I don't. So look, just vote for your own self-interest and that of your family. And if you just do what's best for you in the country, you will vote for Trump. All right. Well, thank you. We're out of time. This is Drew Thomas Allen, America's Last Stand. Will you vote to save or destroy America in 2024? Thank you so much for joining, Drew. And you've been watching Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. See you next time.